Hello and welcome to another teaching from 119 Ministries. Our ministry believes that the whole Bible is true and directly applicable to our lives today. If you would like to know more about what we believe and teach, please visit us at testeverything.net. We hope that you enjoy studying and testing the following teaching. Nineteen Ministries receives thousands of emails a year, and, as you would expect, many of those emails contain questions. Quite often, we repeatedly receive various forms of the same questions. Ideally, we would like to have a teaching available for every question that we receive. However, some questions can be answered rather briefly and do not require a regular linked teaching to serve as a response. That is the purpose of this teaching series, to offer an easily available vehicle to answer your common questions. In this teaching series, we'll read a collection of hand-picked questions that we have received via email. Then, for whatever it is worth, we will offer a brief response, hopefully leading those interested in the right direction to find the answers that they are seeking. So, let's get started. First question. I have a question. Are tattoos a sin? Okay, to start off, we define sin as the breaking of the Torah. The Torah mentions tattoos in Leviticus 19, verse 28. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am Yahweh. On the immediate surface, it appears that tattoos are a sin. However, it is our current understanding that tattoos are not a sin, generally speaking, only in specific circumstances. And determining those specific circumstances will require some careful examination of the context. Leviticus 19.28 teaches against tattoos, but in the specific context of pagan cultic rituals surrounding the mourning of a death or remembering the death of loved ones. For additional reference and material, we reveal this immediate context in our teaching, Can We Shave Our Beards?, which covers verse 27. Such context would also relate to verse 28, specific to cutting oneself and getting a tattoo. The cutting of oneself and the tattoo are not separate circumstances, but related. In ancient times, to tattoo yourself, you would cut yourself in a particular pattern or shape, and then rub dye into your wound. This would then form a tattoo. So a better rendering of this verse from Hebrew to English would be, You shall not make any cuts on your body and tattoo yourselves for the dead. So, specifically, a tattoo today would not likely be breaking the Torah unless done in such context. However, while not breaking the Torah, tattoos, even today, are often associated with rebellious counterculture. In addition, many of those who are Torah-observant interpret Leviticus 19.28 much more broadly than we have described. Because of this, one might wish to exercise careful consideration as to whether a tattoo is sending a message and purpose that would be well-received by others you might associate with in the faith. It could possibly and understandably cause conflict and tension with others, which might cause the exact opposite of your intent in getting a tattoo. That being said, we are certainly not telling you one cannot get a tattoo, but we at least wanted to present some things that perhaps should be considered. We hope that at least offered some thoughts worthy of thinking about. Next question. We recently lost a family member. He was cremated. Is cremation acceptable? We receive this question quite regularly. The typical process in scripture is clearly burial. However, 
description is not necessarily prescription. Meaning this, just because something is traditionally done in a certain way in the Bible does not mean the Torah prescribes or requires it. There is nothing in the Torah that restricts cremation. As we are told in Genesis, because of sin, we now experience death. Death is equated to turning to dust. Cremation simply expedites that process of turning back to dust from which we came. In the end, we will all be resurrected. It does not matter if our body has already been completely turned to dust or not. Our promised resurrection will come. But isn't cremation a pagan practice? Again, the biblical pattern we see in Scripture for God's people is burial, not cremation. Cremation was a process employed by the pagans. However, we are told in the Torah to simply not worship Yahweh in the way that the pagans worshipped Yahweh. Cremation is not a form of worship of Yahweh. So while cremation is not the biblical pattern for God's people, it does not appear to be against the Torah. However, you will find that most will choose to employ the biblical pattern of burial in most cases, and that is understandable. In the end, those in the faith, whether buried or cremated, will be resurrected to eternal life. So why do some even consider cremation? In nearly every instance we are asked about whether cremation is acceptable, we find that most actually prefer traditional burial, but find the cost of burial to be an obstacle, and the substantial cost savings of cremation to be attractive. In addition, those who chose cremation often still bury the cremated remains in a special place, thus making an attempt to still somewhat fit the established biblical pattern of traditional burial. Next question. Can you help me better understand the difference between the law and a covenant? This is an excellent question, and eventually, it really deserves more of an in-depth, standalone teaching. From a rather basic perspective, a covenant is simply an agreement between two parties. Biblically, there is more to it than that, and we don't want to minimize its importance. In the faith, we are to believe the Word of God to be true. That is our part of the agreement, to believe and have faith that the Word of God is truth. Our faith on our end of the agreement is not works-based, but our faith, if valid, will produce works as a result. Because we believe the Word of God to be true, we seek to live out the word Torah in our faith. Such is the evidence of our faith. Following and believing the Word of God is the same as following and believing our Messiah. Our Messiah only practiced and taught what the Father already presented as the Word of God, which is contained in the Torah. Yahweh's part of the covenant is the offering of different promises. So the Torah is part of the covenant as it is a centerpiece of detailing what we believe to be true and thus how we should live out the faith that we believe as truth. We enter the covenant when we believe the word of God to be truth. However, the other part of the covenant is Yahweh's promises to us. This is how covenants change. Yahweh continues to add more promises to us with each iteration of the covenant. This is even stated to be true of the new covenant. It has better promises, but not a better or different law. This, again, is just a highly basic overview and really does not reveal all the different nuances of each covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. The law remains the same. The law of God does not change. The law defines sin. What is sin one day will always be sin the next day. All righteousness, 
holiness, and fair judgment is based on the Torah or the law of God. Thus, it cannot change unless the definition of righteousness, holiness, and fair judgment can change. The written word of God, our Messiah as the manifestation of the word of God, and even Paul say the same in various places. So, in conclusion, the only thing that changes in the new covenant presented by Yahweh is the offering of more and better promises. Some examples include the offering of a resurrection through Messiah Yeshua to save us from death, or promising to never flood the earth again, or multiplying us as believers, or bringing us into the land, etc. That is all said to say that a new covenant is not a new law. It is a new promise. The new covenant writes the Torah on our hearts, empowering us to keep it. It doesn't get rid of the Torah, and we are renewed into the same faith as it existed from the beginning, the eternal and unchanging Word of God. So while the Torah is part of the covenant, it is part of it in a very specific way. There is really much more to Yahweh's covenants with us as believers. We might also suggest our teaching the Hebrew root of covenant. Next question. Shalom. I was recently in a discussion with someone who found fault with me because I do not wear my tassels every day. This was something I concluded for myself, that because the command is silent on the frequency of how often tassels are to be worn, as well as which garments, I decided that I was not in sin when I chose to refrain on some days. Now that the issue was used against me, in a manner of speaking, I am attempting to reevaluate whether I am in the wrong or not. Would you provide me with your stance on this, please? Again, to my understanding, Scripture is silent on their frequency. But if you know something I don't, please share. Thanks again, and Shalom. We receive questions like this very often. To answer, specifically, as it is written, the Torah is silent regarding the frequency. All we have to go on is what is implied by Yahweh in the context. The Torah's stated purpose of wearing tzitzis is to serve as a reminder to observe Yahweh's commandments. We can read this in Numbers 15. So, the answer to how often we should wear tzitzits is found by asking this question. How often should we seek to remember to observe Yahweh's commandments? We would expect the answer to be as much as humanly possible. If we are conscious, we should want to be remembering Yahweh's commandments. Another way to look at it is to extrapolate the extreme side of determining for ourselves their frequency of wearing tzitzits. If the frequency of wearing seat seats is not implied in the Torah, then all we have to do is wear seat seats for one second of our life, and then we have satisfied the commandment. Clearly, with that, it should be obvious that that is not what Yahweh intended. So we should apply what Yahweh intended. Seat seats can only serve as a reminder when worn. So, Yahweh did not need to be specific, as the intent or purpose behind seat seats also reveals the intended frequency of wearing them. That frequency is to be as often as possible. Now, there will be times that it is not possible. For example, some professions or manufacturing jobs would present safety issues if one was wearing seat seats at the time. In such cases, sometimes a person will place them in their pockets or under their existing clothing as to not compromise their safety. If safety is not a concern, most employers in the United States have to allow a person to exercise their faith which would include the wearing of seat seats. Next question. Please, please, please add a search box on the website so you can look for the videos mentioned by name in other videos, or mention the series the videos you suggest to watch are under. This is another example of a company having a website 
but never using it themselves to know how that works. Arg. For anyone ever frustrated with the design of the 119 website, we can empathize. Our current website is substantially improved over our previous website iteration. However, please keep in mind that we are using a template to save costs with minor customization for our purposes. A fully customized website could cost north of $100,000 to accomplish all the features we would like to include. We've looked into it. Perhaps that could happen someday, but resources are often tight. But to answer this concern specifically, we actually do have several available search features to help a person to easily find teachings. In the upper right hand of the website page, you will see a magnifying glass next to a text box that says search. Using keywords may help you find the blog posts, articles, teachings related to the subject or title of interest. Also, on the teachings page itself, it defaults to sorting teachings by category. If you do not know what category a teaching you are looking for is in, you can view all teachings and it will place all teachings on one page in alphabetical order. And even on this page is an additional search box feature. While it might still be occasionally challenging to find a specific teaching now that we have over 300 free teachings available, we hope that these tools might lessen frustration until someday we have a website that is as user-friendly as we would like. Next question. If Yahweh says, live holy because I am holy, what does that mean for me in my daily walk? This is a good question. To be holy means to be set apart. We are set apart by Yahweh in the doing of His commandments. Leviticus 10 verse 7, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am Yahweh your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am Yahweh who sanctifies you. We see the same in Leviticus 11 in the context of obeying the dietary instructions. Yahweh instructs His people to be set apart by following His set-apart Torah. Sometimes people confuse traditions and practices not found in the Torah or trying to not do what the pagans do as defining being set apart or holy. But that is not what defines us specifically as being set apart. Only the Torah can do that. Yahweh even defines His own holiness and righteousness by His Torah. While there are plenty of traditions or other ideas about walking out our faith that are not in the Torah, none of those things have to do with being holy or set apart. It does not mean that such practices are bad or should necessarily be avoided. It should just be recognized that anything beyond the Torah does nothing for holiness or being set apart. Next question. Shalom, I am a big fan of your teachings and was just reviewing your teaching on Passover when it raised a question. In your teaching, you ask, can we biblically observe Passover today? The answer is no. You then go on to explain that it can only be done at Jerusalem at the temple. But then, you go on to say that during the 40 years in the desert, they were keeping Passover. Can you please clarify? Thank you. So basically, this is asking, if sacrifices can only be done at the temple in Jerusalem, how were sacrifices done in the wilderness in the time of Moses? This is a good and fair question. The answer is actually rather simple. In the wilderness, they had the tabernacle. Yahweh moved the altar to the permanent location of Jerusalem later. This would not be a change in the Torah, as the Torah simply dictates that such priestly activity be done in the place Yahweh chooses. Jerusalem is the last place Yahweh has chosen and remains such to this day. Next question. Would God ask a person to sin? The story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac is troubling to me. 
The events of Genesis 22 certainly contains a situation that raises one's eyebrows. We, and most others, would understand the whole event as a prophetic shadow of Messiah Yeshua. Yeshua offered up himself voluntarily, as did Isaac. Isaac did not fight back or resist according to the account. He was a willing participant and maybe speculated what was really going on as it was occurring, even asking Abraham where the sacrifice was. It makes you wonder if Abraham seemed to know that Yahweh would provide a ram, as that is what Abraham even said in response to Isaac's question. Perhaps Abraham knew this knowing that Yahweh would not have him carry out sin. We seem to actually see that understanding presented in verse 5. Abraham actually declares his expectation of both him and Isaac returning back to his young men. If Abraham actually believed Isaac was going to die, that would not have been his expectation. Genesis chapter 22 verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Regardless, Abraham did reveal that he was willing to carry it out as requested, fully showing his trust in Yahweh. And Isaac demonstrated his trust in Yahweh as well. So in this, the answer to your question is yes. Yahweh could ask, perhaps, but if this story sets the example, he would stop you from carrying it out. If this series and presentation format interested you, there are many more questions we'll be covering in subsequent parts of this teaching series. As always, if you have questions for 119 Ministries, please use the Contact Us page offered on our website. And if you do contact us, thank you for your patience as our team works to respond. We pray that you've been blessed by this teaching. And remember, continue to test everything. Shalom. It is because of you, our generous supporters, who make it possible to offer these high-quality teachings completely free of charge. If you feel led to support 119 Ministries so that we can continue this effort, please visit testeverything.net and click on the Support 119 tab. Learn how you can partner with us to take the whole Word of God to the nations.